Hello, my name is Robert Cunningham, and welcome to the second episode of Every Square Inch. If you haven't had the opportunity to listen to the first episode, you might want to go back and check it out because I lay out the concept behind the podcast and uh, and its name. But essentially, uh, this is going to be the place where I engage every square inch of God's world with God's worldview. And this week, I want to talk about what everyone seems to be talking about these days, which is transgenderism. I struggled with uh, what to speak on with this, which is essentially first uh, episode. Um, but I had a, I had a gut-wrenching conversation uh, with someone who's struggling in this area recently, and one of the first requests that came to me of an issue that people would like to hear my perspective on is this. So I thought, why not just jump right in with one of the more controversial ones, I suppose. I'm, I'm going to get to the Christian view of transgenderism in a moment, but I want to begin by talking about what I call the irony of the transgender movement in an age that is void of transcendence. There's a famous quote um, wrongly attributed to C.S. Lewis because it sounds like a lot like Lewis, uh, but he didn't actually say it. We don't actually know who said it. But here's the quote. It says, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Now, I contend that the truthfulness of that quote is being proven in the most unlikely way through the phenomenon that is transgenderism. Let me explain. We all inhabit what philosopher Charles Taylor calls the secular age. On different episodes of Every Square Inch, I'll be referencing the secular age probably fairly often. So let me explain what I mean by that. Let me me take some time in this first one to explain what I mean by that. Hang with me through the explanation because it is really important and I promise I'll bring it back to transgenderism and show how it relates. Um, We are now 10 years past the publication of Charles Taylor's massively important work entitled A Secular Age. Now, full disclosure, I've, I've dabbled in Taylor's work, but it is a huge undertaking that I don't have the time and maybe the intellectual ability to get through. Uh, that's why James K. Smith's uh, book, How Not to Be Secular, is so important. Jamie Smith saw a need to make Taylor more accessible to people like me. And so he wrote his book as somewhat of a primer to a secular age. You're welcome to give Taylor a try if you want, but uh, Smith's book will really give you a good summary of his argument. But anyway, the secular age, the secular age is Taylor's attempt to explain the age of unbelief that is upon us. When we think When we think about the word secular, we typically think of it in terms of secular versus religious spaces. So, for instance, there are secular schools and there are religious schools. But Taylor argues that there has been a shift in secularity that is more all-encompassing. No longer secular spaces, but an actual secular age. An age where a life of unbelief, an irreligious life is now wholly plausible. Now, he's not talking about the rise of the new atheists like Richard Dawkins, though certainly that does come from the secular age. 
But more so, he's just talking about normal folks in Western societies living lives essentially of functional atheism, even if they wouldn't identify themselves as such. Living lives for all intents and purposes as if there is no transcendent reality at play. This is a first for human civilization, and you need to understand that there has never been a culture or society in the history of the planet that didn't assume some form of belief in God or gods or something transcendent. That is to say, we've always been a religious species, and unbelief was wholly implausible. But Taylor's argument is the progress of modernity has led to a disenchantment of our world. Secularism is seen in a sense, as a coming of age for the human species, where we have created a world that is exclusively self-sufficient naturalism, void of um, traditional dependent supernaturalism. His title for that is The Eminent Frame. Eminent means indwelling or inherit or um, operating within, and this is how we now view our world in contrast to transcendence, which is the view of our world as dependent upon higher transcendent realities. Every civilization has always looked upward for meaning, purpose, function. But in the secular age, we look inward to human reason and natural sciences. Simply put, it's a natural versus supernatural worldview. The mark of the secular age is that this imminent frame has made unbelief a very plausible option for us. The questions that have for so long troubled the human race are now uh, being confidently dismissed by the progress of science. So, for the first time, religion is now merely an option alongside the other option of unbelief. An example of this would be uh, last week, the, uh, the DNC unanimously passed a resolution affirming the religious unaffiliated as the largest religious group within the Democratic Party. Now, that may seem ironic to you to label the religiously unaffiliated as a religious group, But it's true. This is the world we live in. Irreligion is now another religious option. Um, By by the way, as an aside, I commend to you Michael Weir. Um, He was Obama's former faith advisor. Um, And his critique of the DNC selling out to the uh, secular and further marginalizing the religious among us. He is a really, really uh, good follow on Twitter and good voice. Uh, within the DNC. Um, but anyway, this is this is the secular age, an imminent frame void of transcendence where unbelief is now a plausible option. But Taylor doesn't just have an explanation for the secular age, he has a critique. His contention is that this brave new world, as Huxley calls it, is neither sustainable nor possible to fully enact. 
Now, he admits that modernity has done its best to disenchant our world of all transcendence, but he contends that in the end, this is a vain attempt. He says, what he says is that the secular is still haunted, haunted by memories of transcendence that we simply cannot shake. Uh, He calls them cracks in the secular. I love that imagery, cracks in the secular. Cracks in the secular age where transcendence still breaks through, even though we try to uh, be done with transcendence and religion. It's just something that continues to break through on all of us. Now, there are countless examples of these cracks, most notably the rise of mystic kind of spirituality, where religion in the traditional sense has been rejected, but the kind of uh, Oprah spirituality is on the rise, very rapidly on the rise. Consider, for instance, yesterday's uh, really good New York Times feature on Marianne Williamson's uh, candidacy and her surprising appeal, which Taylor would not be surprised at all by, because uh, she represents uh, she represents a crack in the secular. She she represents uh, this longing for there to be some kind of transcendent something. But I want to talk about I want to talk about something else that I see as a major crack in the secular, and it's transgenderism. Thanks for hanging with me through the philosophy stuff. Now to, now to my point. I believe one of the most significant cracks in the secular is transgenderism. It's ironic that an era empty of transcendence has produced the trans movement. Again, the quote from earlier, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Our secular world calls that ridiculous. Human consciousness uh, that has long been labeled a soul, quote-unquote, is nothing more than complex physical matter, the function of the brain, and so forth. You don't have a soul. You are a body, period. And yet rising out of this physical reductionism is the most unlikely cry of the soul, this thing called transgenderism. I've engaged enough with individuals who identify as transgender to know that their torment is very real. There actually is a true disconnect between the way their body presents itself and the way they experience themselves. And they actually do feel that they are being truest to themselves when they defy their biology and indulge this deeper identity. But this only begs the question, what is this identity that transcends biological science? What is this truest self that feels trapped in the wrong body? Simply put, who are you if you are not your biology? This is a huge dilemma for our secular world that wants to affirm and embrace the trans community for who they are. Because who are they? If our society is going to be consistent, then they are what the testable sciences say they are. And if you took subjective opinions off the table and put chromosomes under the microscope, we all know what the results would be. And therein lies the dilemma. Either trans people are the chemistry of their biology, or 
an unseen, untestable, transcendent reality has crept into the fray. You see, gender has become the new soul. We have bifurcated biological sex and this thing called gender, which is uh, the word we're using to speak to this deeper identity that can transcend a physical reality. Of course, the secular answer to this phenomenon is that it's an issue with their chemistry, perhaps genetic, perhaps the wiring of the brain. They would say, we don't know yet, but we'll figure it out. But whatever the reason is, something is physically going on telling people that they are a different gender than their biology. And in this way, we now have a physical answer to what seems like a transcendent dilemma. But I don't think any secularist wants this answer because it presents transgenderism as a physical, uh, specifically mental, disorder that needs treatment. In other words, the answer would be to treat the brain, not manipulate the body um, to align with false perceptions within the brain. But of course, we know that this is wholly unacceptable to our secular world. In fact, the, the latest edition of the DSM, uh, which is the Diagnostic and um, Statistical Manual of Mental Disorder, the latest edition eliminated uh, what had long been called gender identity disorder, and now it's listed as gender dysphoria. And the message is really simple. It's not a disorder that needs to be treated like schizophrenia, for example. Instead, it is a very real conflict of identity. But again, what is this identity that is not physical? Our secular society is trapped. Either hold to rigid scientism or embrace the soul cry of transgenderism. Now, surprising to many, and include, including many Christians, I must say, the Christian worldview actually has a helpful category to understand the phenomenon of transgenderism. The Bible sees human beings as much more than mere bodies. We are a complex integration of both body and soul, material and immaterial, physical and spiritual. And both body and soul are also fallen, according to the scriptures. Uh, we have turned away from our Creator and His perfect design for humanity and are therefore subject to profound disordering of our design. Therefore, according to the Christian worldview, we should not be surprised by the deepest forms of conflict and angst that we experience within our souls. And this manifests itself in so many ways, yes, including our sexuality and gender. So in contrast to the secularism of our day, the Christian worldview is able to account for all of these mysterious identity crises that we are seeing in our culture. Likewise, the Christian worldview does not only offer a, a unique category, but a unique remedy as well. The Christian vision of salvation is much more than souls getting saved. Than, than souls escaping to some ethereal heaven. No, it is a holistic redemption of both body and soul. When Scripture gives us a picture of the end of redemption, it is a profoundly physical reality. 
a perfectly redeemed physical world inhabited by perfectly redeemed uh, human beings whose body and souls exist in perfect harmony. That is to say, when God is done with us, we will fully be what God designed us to be, which deep down is what every soul is longing after. But it's not just future redemption that that Christianity promises, um, but also the hope that redemption is possible now. Now, I grant uh, that we will never reach perfection until that day of perfection, the day of consummation. But, but, and this is, this is, I'm saying it up front, this is the controversial contention I'm, I'm making. Um, change is possible here and now. Things like sexuality and gender are far more fluid than our world is willing to admit. Now, for some, it's more ingrained and less fluid than for others, particularly for those with past trauma or uh, pornography addiction and things like this that we know um, have an ability to ingrain our sexuality. But to a varying degree, yes, change is possible. I commend to you uh, Jim Pachta's courageous testimony released last week by the Gospel Coalition entitled, I Couldn't Live With My Sexuality. Uh, Jim is an elder in the PCA and a therapist, and he is uh, very vulnerable and public about his journey uh, with transgenderism, um, where he tried the uh, fake it till you make it hope of change, which is all too common in the church and never works. Um, you, you, you know, you cannot pray the gay away. Um, he tried that. This led to a discouraging season where uh, he just gave up and indulged his uh, desires. Uh, and that failed him, and that led to profound brokenness, which then um, led him to the more holistic and hopeful redemption that is offered to us in Jesus. Um, he ends his testimony by saying this, I was a mess, I still am, but thankfully Jesus loves a good mess. And this is the hope, friends. We're all messed up. And this mess is manifested in countless ways. It may not be transgenderism for you. It may be, but it may not be that for you. But, but no doubt, um, the, the mess that is fallen humanity manifests itself in countless ways in our lives. But here's the news. Jesus loves a good mess. And even better, Jesus is able to redeem a good mess. So, try as it may, the secular age truly does not have a category for transgenderism's cry of the soul. But the Christian worldview does. Within Christianity, the transgender cry is heard, and much more, the transgender cry is answered. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you'll subscribe and join us again next week.